Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. It's been a week, man. Uh, we missed last week due to some unforeseen travel nonsense. I don't know how much you want to get into that, but we also have a pro tour to talk about and uh, a lot of set previews that I think we're going to talk about later this week as we double up this week to make up for missing last week. So uh, how's it going? <laughs> it's going, Gerald. I'm home. I am safe. I am back in America after taking what may have been, this isn't confirmed, but there is some possibility, uh, the longest commercial flight in the history of aviation uh, and one that ended at the same place it started, which makes it even more impressive in my eyes. Um, if you haven't heard, I did take a approximately 17 hour flight from Auckland to Auckland this past week. <laughs> it made, uh, you can, you can go read about it on CNN where I was interviewed when a reporter reached out to me to share my experience. And I, I don't think I can really talk about it anymore. It's kind of, it's kind of just like so absurd that I need to move forward with my life and yeah. <laughs> let it be in the past. And, uh, Ultimately, you know, it is one of those things that while disastrous, like doesn't actually cause any harm. Like nobody in my family is hurt. There's no long-term consequences. It was just a day of my life that I will never get back, but is what it is. And I, I'm ready to move forward from it. Yeah. There are, there are things that happen or can happen in your life that can maybe go on to define your personality or your sense of being or whatever. Sure, this, absolutely. This should not be it. No, no, I don't think so. But just, just kind of a bad time. What a, what a bad beat though, just in general, you know? The You're worst. Like, I mean, it's, it's real bad when you actually like lay out all the circumstances in my trip. I was only on this flight because my flight on Monday was canceled due to Cyclone, which we talked about last time we recorded. Uh, my wife's flight into Auckland was also canceled when the airport flooded for the first time ever in its history. I was in Auckland for the actual rainiest day in their history. Just like unbelievable bad luck. And I mean, you you don't even live there no, full time or anything, you know? I so I'm sure that they're going through a bunch of stuff too. But yeah, like certainly when you factor in, you're you're trying to like leave at the same time all this stuff is happening. It's just like, oh man, uh, I'm glad you're back, but... Also, I mean, I guess if you had stayed, that 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 stuff would have passed, and like Kiwis are probably back to living their normal happy lives. Yeah, I think so. I I think especially now that I've left, like the weather's been beautiful since I oh, left. Yeah. So of course, I've, of course, I freed them of the curse of my presence, and things are pretty much back to normal. Good, good. So got you back on the podcast. Uh, Maybe like a little bit more full time, a little bit more regular. Do you see things playing out that way? Yeah, I'm back in the country. I mean, I leave in five weeks to go back to Auckland. Okay, so, okay. so uh, not not that much time. Yeah, I I think I leave like the 26th or something like that of March, and you know, have my brother's wedding coming up. Missed his bachelor party in its entirety, by the way, as part of this whole consequence. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Things aren't getting less busy for me, I'll say that. But I am at least here present in the country, so I would expect a slightly upgraded version of, of myself. But don't, like, you know, don't get your expectations too high, Gerald. Like, I'm still a pretty low return investment here. I was hoping. I mean, I was going to say, like, hey, we're back on the same time zone, but not really because you're still jet-like beyond belief, I'm sure. So Yeah, just disastrous uh, sleeping, sleeping circumstances, taking a lot of 
NyQuil Z's, which is some kind of NyQuil without the like cold medicine stuff that I had in my house. And that's what's really trying to put me onto a normal schedule. But then like I make the decision to take it too late into sleeping. So it's like two, three in the morning. I'm like, all right, I'm not falling asleep. I'm just going to take this stuff. Chug way too much of it. Sleep till noon the next day. And then I haven't actually improved anything about my sleeping schedule. So <laughs> bit of a I disaster mean- now. Like 3 or 4 a.m. to noon is roughly my schedule. I'm like 6 to 11. All right. So we're getting close to the same page. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's not a normal person's schedule, but it's it's what we got. All right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this this Pro Tour thing happened. How how much of this did you get a chance to watch? A or... lot of this was while I was on the 16-hour flight to nowhere. So okay. not as much as I would have liked. And when I was like in airports between these times and the schedule lined up, I was trying to watch what I could. And uh seems like a lot of folks excited about what they saw. I'm like halfway with them. Like I, I there was there was good for sure. Like great to have paper magic back. I do feel like people go a little bit out of their way to heat praise on a return to competitive play that is actually like a very significant downgrade from where we were just a few short years ago and despite the fact that magic makes more money than it ever has has more you know theoretical dollars to spend on this type of advertising has a bigger player base than ever there's still an entire generation of great magic players which were kind of just cast aside and got doomed to the uh death throes of the MPL to say nothing of like hall of famers who thought they'd have their invites forever, despite there being some names at this event that very much were the hallmarks of magic back in the day. A lot of folks not there who were at basically every pro tour for the last, you know, 10 years, folks like yourself, honestly. And a lot of those faces have moved on. So I am not as quick as some folks to heap praise upon this event. It felt like a step in the right direction to getting back to where we were, but this sort of universal, the pro tour is back, baby. It lets them off the hook. It lets them off the hook for everything they did previously. And like, you can't do that because you're just going to get less in return. You, I like making the statement to wizards. Thank you for realizing this is something important, something you should be investing in. Keep proving to me, you have this level of commitment. You care about this the same way I do. And then you can have my unequivocal support. But one time out does not make up for the wrongs of the past in my eyes. And I'm sort of disappointed how quickly everyone is ready to forgive. Uh, people people forget things quickly. You know, it is, it's just a news cycle type of thing, right? Yeah. Um, all of that stuff happened so long ago that I... Kind of. I mean, of. yes, yes it is relative. relative. But it's, it's different. I think for us specifically, because it it cuts deeper. It's like it's not a thing that we're able to forget because it, it's like almost personal. You know, yeah. it's like it took such away a big... our way of life. Completely yeah, changed my life. Yeah, yeah, such a big part of our lives, right? And for folks who are maybe not as invested, who said like, "Oh yeah, you know, we're with you. We agree with you. Like this is messed up or whatever." It's just like, well, now that it is for all intents and purposes, like for what they care about, it is back then it's like that they get to forget that the other stuff just didn't happen, right? Like, why why keep that occupying brain space? But we can't forget. So, yeah, and I, I'm I'm big on forgiveness too, 
Fitzgerald. I think it's one of the things that actually you and I have very similar personalities, but one of the things we differ about the most, I think, <laughs> is I am very willing to be like, okay, this person maybe sucked in the past, but I want to believe they can change and they can be better. And or this this company yeah. sucked in the past, and I want to believe they can change and do better. Hold up, oh, I I I know I know what you're getting at, but let me let me correct your phrasing. Sure, that's... go go ahead, please do, because I... you're, you're right. I know where you're going. Yeah, I I believe that people are capable of change, and I believe that. I myself am, am an example of that. So I don't want to be hypocritical in that regard, but the way you described it earlier is much more in line of how I feel where you're saying like Wizards needs to continue to prove that this is a thing that matters to them, right? And that's how I feel about like people with change. Right. Whereas I, I'm not going to automatically assume that you are going to change or that you're capable of change. Like you have to prove it to me first. Yep. And you have a much higher burden of proof than I do, which is the way I would phrase it. Yeah. Which is fair, but also weird considering like you're the lawyer, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, look, I think it's actually a flaw of mine. I think I'm often too quick to forgive and that can uh, be a negative of, of like the way I approach relationships. So I, okay. I get that. I get that. So, it, it's not always great to see the best in someone. Yeah, when when you phrase it, uh, or like put it under the lens of just like forgiveness straight up, then yeah, I th I think that I am definitely less likely to forgive than you are. That said, I've also been trying to temper that a lot within like the last decade or whatever. Uh -huh. and I, I, I think as bad as I am now, I think I've gotten better at it. Like sure. a lot better. <laughs> yep, that's always uh, worth tracking. Uh but. <laughs> Yeah, one me and one of my exes used to joke about how we were were both like that basically, and it was like uh, the the Magic Card Ancient Grudge had come out around that time, and like mm. that was that was us. So yeah, me me with an Ancient Grudge that is kind of on brand. I will tell you that a question I get asked a lot by various folks in the Magic scene is does Jerry hate me? And I'm always like, no, he probably doesn't hate you. Just like you probably did something a little fucked up a while ago. And he just remembers that. And he doesn't really like feel he owes you anything from that point. And I, I think that's a very reasonable thing for someone who's capable of holding ancient grudge. I don't think you've brought that up to me like very often, which is interesting. Cause yeah, I don't know. You're like, oh yeah. People have told me like they like the podcast or whatever, or they like this episode, and it's like, oh, cool! Like they didn't mention that to me, and it's like, well, the thing that you just said, they definitely don't mention to me. And... All right, look, I can think about like three people who have asked me if you hate. Okay, them. it's maybe not as high as I was intonating there, but at least three times it's happened to me. Yeah, that's still a lot more than you would expect on average. Anyway, uh, yeah, ancient grudge, hate is a strong word. It's, but I am willing to cut you out. You know. Uh huh. Uh, pretty easily. I there's just like so many people in the world, and there are so many awesome people out there. Where it's just like, why settle for kind of like mediocrity or whatever? And to the extent that someone can change, like yes, you you can change, but like in in the meantime, like I'm not gonna wait around. Uh, especially if our relationship is pretty shallow, you know. Of course. Also, like you don't necessarily owe people anything, even if they do change, right? Like it's just that's not how it works. Just because you have bettered yourself, True. doesn't mean you're owed my forgiveness. So I think that is always worth keeping track of as well. Yeah, it, I mean, good, good for you. I'm happy for you, but like that doesn't mean that we need to have a relationship or whatever. So, 
So this Any- all goes back to the point that I'm not ready to have a relationship with the Magic Pro Tour yet. And I would like to see some more acts on their part that show me they are actually committed to uh, bringing back competitive magic as something to endeavor towards. I'd like them to fix their RCQ system, which I, I still think kind of sucks. I'd like them to sell me some Pro Tour invites so I can just buy and attend these things because I'm <laughs> not wasting my time going through your qualifier system. But I would like to play Pro Tour again, and I'll, I'll pay to do it. And, you know, if I scrub out, that's on me. I'll take that loss. The uh, thing but... is, though, is I, I think if they start doing that, that goes, that is going to work against what you're saying where they need to, like, prove to you that they care about the thing. I think once they start selling invites, that's when people start saying that Wizards doesn't care. Well, okay, so the the way you sell invites is by making it favorable for players. You make it something a player has control and agency over. So as, you know, random person trying to play Magic for a living or even just like a side hustle, you can go to a bunch of qualifying events, stockpile these invites, and then sell the extra ones you have so you're able to get one, immediate return on those invites. Two, get people like myself who want to participate but don't want to go through all this hassle of, uh, you know, the grind and the qualifiers, get them involved. And, And three, just sort of better allocate these slots for Pro Tours to people who want them, to people who are going to use them, to people who care a lot. And uh, it also allows your like local play to rejuvenate a bit because even people who don't endeavor to attend a Pro Tour, they get to go ahead and participate in a Pro Tour qualifier and then do what they want with that invite. They, they can use it as just another prize, uh, a, another bump in the prize pool, which is pretty exciting in terms of local play. Maybe this... Maybe this issue is unique to Magic specifically and not something like Flesh and Blood, but there there are issues that stem from this. Like, you realize that, right? Such as? Um, back in the day, I had some experience where I would have qualified for something on rating, maybe, or when there were, like, weirdo rolling invites, you know, where it's like, so if, if you won a PTQ, it was considered like you had your invite officially and you could no longer play in, in PTQs, right? Right. But when you had like one of those weirdo invites like that, where like you knew you were going to get invited and that meant that you're quote unquote like good enough to play on the Pro Tour or whatever, people frowned upon you then playing in PTQs because you didn't need the invite, which meant that you were taking it away from someone else in the tournament. Now, under... Your system, what you're saying is like that person is still playing for the slot because it's meaningful to them, maybe not as meaningful to them as, you know, like to them, it's like a thousand dollars or however much they're going to sell it for. But to someone else, it's like their dream, right? So people generally don't like it when you're playing for something that like really matters to you and then like someone else takes it away from you who, uh, it's like too good to be playing to like to be sharking your little PTQ, and uh, I I just don't agree with this. I, like I, listen, I understand what you're saying. I I basically didn't back then either, but that was like how the overwhelming majority of folks who were playing in those tournaments felt, where it's just like I want to go to a PTQ and be able to like win the invite, but I don't want to have to play against like a bunch of pro tour winners in order then to do what it. What do you and want the invite I know, for? What I you know, do man. With I understand. Uh. I understand. The whole thing is like, once you get to the pro tour, 
you're playing against those people and like yep. what what do you expect right yep. especially in a game like magic with high variance where like even like bad player has a very good chance to win some number of games against a very good player to say nothing of like good player versus very good player and how often those games go in favor of good player but it doesn't it doesn't matter to them and in a lot of the instances it wasn't like they wanted the pro tour invite because they thought that they were going to win the pro tour and like bring on all the competition like they're here for it or whatever it's like they just wanted to get an invite to say that they got an invite and if they got it for from like a five person ptq where you know they had like two buys and played one round of magic total or whatever like they would still be like yeah, you know, like I, I got that invite. Hell yeah! Like they, that would be a thing that they'd be proud of, even if it yeah, was. Now they can go buy it and be the pro tour tourist they want to be in the first place. So sure. Uh, but however way they get to look at it and justify, it, they're like, I earned my invite. Like I am, I am that good. Now I can retire or whatever. And it's like uh, logically that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But like that was how a lot of people felt. And as a person who was there playing in PTQs, like effectively blocking for my friends, like I would play until I played against someone who I actually liked and I would concede to them, right? And, you know, that that sort of stuff should definitely not be allowed, right? But, like, the only reason I was doing it was because winning the tournament outright meant nothing to me, whereas if it meant, like, $1,000 or something that I could sell directly, then I would uh -huh. just keep playing. And then there it wouldn't be any sort of, like, weirdo collusion happening. But... Yeah. Sounds a lot like people wanting to believe in meritocracies and, and earning things. And I basically wrote this article already, and up on our website, which isn't functioning, by the way. We should probably look into that at some point. Okay, fair. I didn't know that. Podcast. Yeah, it, it is not. Uh, it's not working. But theoretically, there is an article on our website when it does work again uh, that I wrote about the selling of Pro Tour invites. And as you may have already expected from this conversation, it is something that is in place in flesh and blood, and it's something that is awesome in flesh and blood. And I'm really happy is in place in flesh and blood. And if Magic brought it to the table. I'd, I'd play all the Pro Tours. I really would. I'd play every single one. And maybe I would still suck and I'd just be dead money, but it, it'd be a lot of fun for me to have a high-level event to care about again. Um, I'm just not doing the, the legwork for it. I don't, I don't have time for it at this point in my life. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the other problem with that is, I guess, like meritocracy or privilege or whatever, where... You have the problem where there's someone like me who would go in and shark a PTQ and sell it to someone for a thousand dollars, and I think people are going to think that the Pro Tour is less, you know, like pure or pristine or whatever nonsense they want to put on it because people are buying into it versus the people that that actually like worked for it. Yeah, and I don't know, man. It's it. it it's just weird and kind of like the same type of thing where it's like, yeah, there, there are people who are good enough to play that could win these events, but like just don't have the time for it. Yeah. I, and, I think the pro tour is less pristine because you're not there because John Finkel's not there. Like I can, I can name a ton of people who I think their absence from these pro tours makes it less meaningful, less pristine. And it's the exact opposite problem of the problem you're talking about. So yeah, everyone but has their own definition of what a true pro tour is, and the fact is, you're never going to have anything that even resembles the true gathering of the best players in the world. Right, and I don't know. It, it would require everyone kind of like getting on on the the same page with like what the pro tour should or should not be, and 
et cetera. Uh, and I, we're just not going to get there. I mean, nope, it'll never happen. So no matter whether or not it, it stays the course or changes in some way, or they start doing the selling of invites, like people are always going to have complaints about it, I think. Mm-hmm. And some of those are a little bit more valid than others, but I feel like this is vastly different than things that Magic has tried before and could could really go south. So I'm I'm weary of that happening. But regardless, I, I, I don't expect it to happen anyway. I, I wouldn't stress about it too much. But uh, it it just seems like I, the internal perception is the same as the one that you're kind of relaying right now in terms of like purity and. I, I just think that argument will win out. And I'm fine taking the losing position in this. If my position is a minority one, so be it. I, I still feel pretty strongly about it, though. Well, I, I think there are a lot of people who are in your situation who would be all for this, but know that they can't necessarily like speak up about it because they just get eviscerated by maybe. the the rabid player base, you know? Yeah, and maybe. I don't know. I, I think that if we could have like gone back in time and made it so there wasn't this massive separation of like pro tour players and people who are grinding PTQs. And it was just like, no, we're all just magic players and we all play in the same events and stuff. Then all of this would be completely fine. It'd be completely worked out. But instead it was like, Oh, if you're on the pro tour, like you have this like, you know, or of mystique and, whatever to the point where like you should not be playing against ptq or against ptq players and blah 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 and it's just like how the hell did things get to this point you know like it is it is actively bad i think a good example of this is someone like sam black and like maybe to a lesser extent me too where it's like in most of the places that i lived like i was an active part of the magic community even if i wasn't playing in the ptqs and sam sam was like the same way and he thought that like him not being able to play in those events was like damaging his magic scene because 100% because like him him not participating meant that like you know he's not helping his friends prepare and getting them invested and then maybe they just don't even go to the PTQ and then like they're less attended and and blah 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 like it just means you know you're like one maven down in your community which has trickle down effects right so yeah, I I really hate any incentives for players not to play the game. Yeah, like, exactly. No no matter how like warped they are, whether that's their intention or not, and it, you know, again, like flesh and blood isn't perfect about this. There are there are some scenarios like this where this happens in flesh and blood too, uh, in terms of like Elo stuff. And I I just personally do not like it. I I want players to want to play the game as much as possible, always. So. What do you think the situation is if, you know, say I, I, I'm in Richmond right now, right? Say I go to all these, you know, say I could win invites and sell them for $1,000 or whatever. Uh-huh. And I go to these PTQs and maybe I win half of them. Do you think that at some point, like, the people end up getting frustrated? And I, I think that that's more likely if it happens in a small sample size, like one season or whatever. But if I'm there playing with these players on the regular and like we're all friends and everything, I I think that it's just net better because like right now, 
I'm I'm kind of siloed off from that because I'm not participating. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like if I'm if I'm there and we're all interacting, it's like I don't know. I I feel like people are just gonna be like more invested. People are gonna get better at magic. Like these these people are gonna start beating me for sure. Yep. And that's also assuming that I win like half the tournaments, which is also just a high number, right? And yeah, I'm gonna give you a bit of a non answer, I think, to your question. But it is it is a very good question. I think if you are that person, it is an actively good thing. I do think there are people who yeah. can assume that role where it's not a good thing. Yeah. That's fair. I think those people are like few and far between though. Because Certainly. and they've they've slowly been pushed out of the game, like over time. Yeah. And the game is better for it without a doubt. But you you're thinking of the exact same people I am in this instance. Yes. Uh and then the the other anecdote sort of thing that I want to share related to this is how someone like uh BBD when he started being on the train, like qualified for everything, like he he just like didn't like it very much because of how siloed he became from like local communities and like uh-huh. PPQ players, you know, like people who were his friends. It's just like he he rose up pretty quickly and then was just like not spending time with those people and just found himself like feeling isolated and stuff. And it's like, that sucks, man. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks so bad. Yeah, uh, I remember he had a particularly hard time with the, the MPL and like that even being a further extension of that separation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I get it, too. I think it's a very valid complaint. So I, I wish we could go back in time and just change all this. I don't know how it got to the point where it was like, oh, God, a pro tour regular is like loopholing their way into playing or PTQ or whatever. It's like, shut up. Why is this a thing? Just why play the game. Why, why aren't we just all magic players Yep. playing in these events? I just, it, it happens. I, I don't deny that it happens, um, but I just, I wish that things were not like that, but um, yeah, regardless. Uh, also, this Pro Tour had like 223 people. Very small, incredibly is, small Pro Tour. Yeah, which is not a lot. And to me, the Pro Tour is more people than that. And honestly, I, w- I want to find ways to make it feel the same and be like 600 people. Like, like One of the biggest things is that there are just so many people out there who want invites and there are just not that many up for grabs uh-huh. to the point where there are people who are good enough who are like, quote unquote, deserving. I think that that's a very loaded word, but uh, they just... By uh, by the numbers, like they just won't have a chance to actually qualify, which is ridiculous. It's not due to like lack of skill or drive or dedication or anything that might be things that you factor into whether or not this person is deserving. It's just literally like they're not giving enough of them away. No, I agree entirely. It, that all goes back to my same argument. And again, I can make it about myself, so I don't even have to implicate anyone else in this. Am I one of the 250 best magic players in the world definitely not now was i ever Uh, maybe not maybe not but i do think like i deserve to play in a pro tour i've shown that over time and like the fact that there are not slots for me in this system is that a good thing or a bad thing i i see it as a pretty bad thing Uh, it's very loaded in in terms of like how i approach the situation because it affects me directly um but that's that's just how i view it i think it's it's better when you put high quality players who are capable of winning. Like my ideal idealized version is that anyone capable of winning a pro tour is getting to participate in it. Yeah. And like how many people are capable of winning a pro tour in the world? A thousand? Yeah. A lot. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, but like, you know, 1500 is probably too big for a pro tour, but 500 doesn't feel too big, right? And you get a third of all the people capable in the world. I, I don't know. That seems good to me. Uh, I, I said this a while ago. I don't even know why I, I suddenly had this thought, but my... I just felt like anyone who had like top eight at a pro tour should just be able to play in all the pro tours. <laughs> like you've just proven it. Like, yeah, kind of. I mean, it's just like, I does, understand. Does, yeah. does this person like quote unquote deserve to be there or whatever? And it's like, yeah. And it's like, is the pro tour better when you have the names participating who are like part of the history? And I, I think the answer to that is yes. Also. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, these are all good questions, and they all come back to the idea of, like, do we need to heap unanimous praise on this thing, which is, like, really just getting back to the bare minimum of a pretty flawed system, and or should we be asking for more? And I think I think you should absolutely ask for more. I think we're owed more, it's, it's given both. the support. It's yeah. both. Like, certainly glad that this is back, and I'm, I'm glad that there were a lot of people watching coverage. They all seem to enjoy it, and... Uh, you know, the, the folks playing in the event seem to like it also. All of that is great. But at the same time, it's like we can't we can't stop. We can't just become complacent because that's when things start to get worse. Right. And also, this is not the the good version of the thing that we had before. It just yes. isn't. No. No, so, it's not. Yeah. Like we, we got a thing taken away and then was like kind of given back uh but you know maybe like three-fourths of what it was before and it's just like we're supposed to be thankful instead of being like no like restore this to what it was yeah right? where's, where's the other quarter that's my question yeah so just just keep that in mind while you're keeping praise on this stuff uh definitely throw in some helpful criticisms uh if you want to uh, I think that that would be very helpful. It's like, do, do you have a helpful criticism to offer about the pro tour? Um, what is the most helpful? I have, I have a lot of, uh, you know, nitpicking I could do, but yeah. uh, the most helpful criticism thing that I could come up with is in regards to the screen real estate. I suppose mm -hmm. a lot so, of wasted space, right? A lot of wasted space and not only that but it also meant that so i didn't notice this at first but it's like they, they they oriented the camera so it was more like arena versus like player on the left player on the right uh -huh. and i honestly just didn't even notice it for like two rounds it was weird when then obviously once i noticed it i couldn't unsee it and then i was like why didn't i notice this and maybe it was because well, arena now, maybe... now do you have a preference do you prefer north south versus east west the way pro tours used to be done uh east west not close because of the screen real estate stuff but also because things were happening that i couldn't see which was normally not a problem uh for east west where someone would like put a spell below their lands while I was on the stack. Uh -huh. And because, you know, like the actual gameplay, like the middle of it is condensed, you just couldn't see stuff like that. Stuff was happening off camera all the time. 
during the PT. And meanwhile, there's just like all of this extra space off to the sides. And it's like, I think to, to some degree, like the players could get better about that, but like coverage or whatever could have also like prompted them like, hey, you know, keep it in this this line. Yeah, right? if you have a playmat on the table, the entire playmat should be like visible, right? Like you basically set up the play area so it's always on camera and encourage players not to do things off of that space. Right, and that was not how this was set up. So both in order to get rid of the dead space off to the sides and to make sure that everything is visible, I would I would want to go back to east-west, but maybe there is a north-south version of that that is better for, okay. you know, assuming that north-south is like, they, they, they did it, they made it uh, a very clear, conscious change to do it that way, right? So they must have had a reason for it. Um, so if that is how they want to do it, like there are ways to potentially fix that problem. But it's like, to me, it's like trying to stream a mobile game that is upright. You know what I mean? Um, it's like Twitch and computer screens are oriented east-west. Yeah, you're, th you're thinking of Marvel Snap, basically, like the way it just doesn't quite fit on Twitch. Yeah, or like Clash Royale, Pokemon Go, anything like yep. that, you know? And it's they're all super weird, and Magic is the same way. Like, Magic orients itself better for Twitch when it's east-west. And so I, I, I don't know. I just don't like doing it north-south the way that they are. Um, but thing I will say about this is, uh, in regards to the play area being like the play mat sort of thing, uh, and like all, all the things that are on camera when it, when it was East West at times, specifically at Pro Tours, I think less so at, at SCG because they formatted their stuff to like actual play mats, which are normal sized, you know, it's like that, that's all the play space I need. Right. But for Pro Tours, the tables were like a little bit smaller uh -huh. East West. And I don't know what the reason for that was, but there were definitely situations in Pro Tour feature matches where I felt cramped because of how tiny the table was. That's interesting. Uh, you certainly spent much more time in the feature match area than I did. I don't recall feeling that way, but I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I just like deck selection the few times I was in the feature match area and... It wasn't the type of thing where I needed a lot of real estate. And I, I'm generally like pretty insistent on having an appropriate amount of real estate because of how shitty I am at handling my cards, positioning things mm. around. Uh, it's why like I was, I was using playmats before it was cool. When like only the noobs use playmats, I was right. like 100% in on playmats because it was easier for me to, uh, you know, claim my space and move things around dexterously. Um so it's odd that I didn't have that same experience, but yeah, I, I just think in general, like you have complete control over the framing of these games, over the size you're going to present to your players. And yeah, there was some weakness there on this broadcast. There's a lot of strength in this broadcast too. I thought in particular things like, uh, you know, transitions and news desk setup and, uh, card readers and having, having cards displayed very quickly all felt like pretty big upgrades. Uh, also, big upgrade, prize cards for this Pro Tour. I have no idea where Magic came up with that idea. <laughs> where would they possibly have the idea to do unique prizing? I mean, to be fair, that is a thing that has been suggested for a while. Is Forever, not forever, yes. I, I know I have made the same suggestion a billion times. Um, but yes, it does work. I'm not surprised.
Yeah. What was the highest number you saw? Viewership? No, for the prize card. So, oh, being being offered for sale. Yeah. Or or the are you talking about the serial number? Oh, what are you talking about? I was talking about the Jace. Yeah, but aren't they serialized? Do they have actual numbers on them? Oh, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I'm actually not sure either. Uh, I I didn't see any numbers. What was yours? I mean, I don't know if this is real or not, but it was like someone I saw someone posted like, "Hey, this vendor uh offered like 550, and they were like the highest in the room or something." And then I saw a number thrown out that was like 4,500 or something, and it's like I don't know, like 500 bucks is is pretty damn nice. Right, uh, you show up to a pro tour and you get a little five hundred dollar pork chop. Like that's you know your hotel and, and meals for the weekend. Like that is awesome. Uh, I I think that goes a long way towards making the pro tour feel special, making it so you know people who even think that they might be one and done, where they're just like I just want to qualify once, have the experience, whatever. It goes a long way towards making those people be like I want to go back. Yeah, and I think that that is super important to just you know, keep those players actively engaged and to make the Pro Tour feel special. And I think this is such a small thing that you can do uh, to to do something like that. So I don't know. I was try- basically trying to get confirmation because I didn't go like super deep on it or whatever. Yeah, but... I, I don't know either. I thought there were multiple modes too, like uh, like participation versions. And then as you placed higher, you got like more exclusive versions for oh, those I, I, I don't know. I mean, if if that's true, that is awesome. Yeah, I I thought that was the case. I could be mistaken about that, though, so don't quote me on it. Uh, but regardless, it's still a very, very positive thing to add to the prize pool. Huge fan of the prize cards. And, you know, like, unique flesh and blood ones, they were routinely clearing uh, four digits before, and I, I think, like, magic should be higher, right? Like, the market is just a larger market. And yeah. I guess like there is the difference where there's a million variants and architect or a million variants of every magic card wars in flesh and blood that doesn't really exist, but still the fact that these are only available in one place, I just have to assume that if there are these exclusive versions to top finishers, they will command a pretty penny. And that's just again another nice piece of player service that doesn't cost wizards much. And that's why I always was such a big fan of using these as a way to supplement prize pools, is because what, I think you told me how much it costs to make like an average magic card and it's like pennies, right? It is pennies. It was, when I was there, it was like 42 cents to make a booster pack. Yeah. So for, you know, less than four cents, you, you hook up somebody with a thousand dollar piece of goodies and everyone's a winner in that scenario. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely one of those situations where like buying in bulk is easier, right? It's oh, for like, sure. For sure, yeah. 42 cents a booster is the price when you're printing like a million of them. If you're like, yo, I need 500 of this specific promo, printing. Jace the Mind Sculptors or whatever, it's going to be more than 42 cents, I'm sure. But Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, especially if they're, um, you know, individually serialized and special and whatever. So, but yeah, we, still, we, we grade them for the players in Flesh and Blood. We only offer ones that hit uh, 9.0 or higher. No shit. Really? Yeah. Yep. That's kind of rad. Yeah. That's dope. You get like a nice slab with your, your prize card in it. They're they're really freaking cool. I did not know that. That that it's is important too. Like there there is some context for folks who don't know Flesh and Blood, although if you've listened to this podcast for a while now, I've probably battered you over the head with enough information that you feel like you know it. Um, but there is a set of cards that is your equipment. They 
they do not enter your deck they start in play and that's what the prize cards are made of so you can just display them in the All slab in and use them yep. yeah so a little harder to do that in magic for sure yeah for sure but i don't know yeah maybe someone is putting like their 500 dollars jace just in their deck and that's that's cool to sell right but i think a lot of these are gonna be like collector item type of things so yeah. whatever yeah. uh i liked the fact that there was very little downtime and it was yeah. like you know two minute break all right back into a match and they got to put a lot of the actual like games played in the feature match area on camera even if a lot of them were like all right we're coming into it in game two or game three like they would cut it down for time and to make sure that they could show all the stuff which is like really quick turnaround and super awesome to see and that is definitely like a massive level up versus like all right 30 minute downtime in between yeah. rounds or whatever uh so if if you were watching coverage like i was i watched uh a lot of it um i think i napped at some point in day two or whatever but watch everything else besides that uh it was just like magic the entire time it was great it's great fantastic to see yeah uh as for the tournament itself you want to talk about some pioneer i would love to talk about pioneer in large part because uh a lot of what we have been saying about this format was validated by this event and this this time you're the big winner gerald last time we did a big pioneer event yeah you like that it felt like i was the big winner with you my like deck choice but you've you've run the tables this time all right so metagame breakdown real quick uh rectos mid-range 15 percent of the field model green devotion 13.8%, Gruel Vehicles, 9.6%, Lotus Field Combo, 7.8%, Mono White Human, 69 Blue White Control, 6.4%, Is It Creativity, 6.4%, Racto Sacrifice, 6%, Is It Phoenix, 5%, Solisney Angels, 3.2%, Other Archetypes, 19.7%, and then from the man, the myth, the legend, Frank Garston, uh, runs the numbers, gets out the tweet like, is it the day of? the 19th when was that yeah that was sunday night he's like here's the matchup uh win percentage stuff so go follow frank carson on twitter if you want to see this stuff and uh yeah big winner abzan greasefang 23 and 11 67.6 total win rate and uh yeah i don't know i i said this a while ago where like greasefang seemed like the last deck in pioneer that if you could figure it out if you could tweak it a little bit it would be the it's like the one possible deck that you could use to exploit the format a little bit and uh you know one one of the teams did that not their entire team played it um but it looks like the people who did decide to play it did pretty well including one in top eight and it wasn't even in the ways that I was expecting. I was expecting more of like a, oh, you know, like transform uh, after sideboard to kind of like beat Graveyard Hate. But like one of the reasons that they played it was because there was very little Graveyard Hate. Uh -huh. And then you look at things like Rakdos midrange being the biggest deck and their removal is a lot of Fatal Pushes and Bone Crusher Giants and Grease Fang is a 4-3. Uh, they do have some power word kills or whatever, but for the most part, you, you just have more access to your combo you know than they have actual ways to kill your thing so that matchup ended up being very good then grease fang posted like an 89 percent win rate against rectus so lack of graveyard hate uh definitely a lot 
of innovations in the actual deck list for copies of Mana Confluence. Uh, one of the uh -huh. things that I harped on was the fact that all of these lists that were showing up had like 10 sources of white mana, which is just inexcusable. And part of that was due to there being a low land count. Uh, some lists I saw had like 18 or 19. This one had 21 for Mana Confluence, which I think was 15 total white sources. And I, that's that's a thing that you can only do when like the metagame is very specific too. It's like, yes, there's some stuff like Mono White Aggro or whatever, but like this is a pro tour and the top eight is a lot of like non-interactive, just like doing my thing sort of combo decks and not a ton of just traditional aggro decks. So it's a thing that you can get away with. So like lack of graveyard aid, not a lot of traditional aggro, uh, cutting Seder Wayfinder, you know, like things things like that all led to it being like a fantastic choice for this tournament. But like, I don't think that I ever would have come up with like this version for this event. So kudos to them. Yeah, I'd love to see a bit of innovation. And, you know, I do think the archetypes sort of fell in the range of what was expected for this tournament. Not a ton of huge surprises. You know, maybe some things sort of asserting themselves where they were tier 2.5, tier 3 decks now sort of staking their claim to being very much a top tier deck. I'm thinking of Is It Creativity in particular, a real coming out party for that deck. Although not something that anyone coming to this event would have been ignoring. I think it had risen to that point where it deserves some respect, but it really put a stamp on the format at this point. Um, and just really good, solid deck building going on across all these decks. Really nice, small tweaks without reinventing the wheel. That felt very pro tour ish in nature honestly they felt like the result of just grinding out a ton of games working with a talented team and figuring things out and that's something that i have felt like has been missing a little bit more because absolutely you know, sort of the nature of the mpl disincentivized a lot of that kind of teamwork and that kind of groups and there were some smaller teams but fewer super teams in magic over the last you know three years and a lot less of that homegrown talent team where a group of people who are qualified comes together they find some mesh, they find some good working relationships, and they just come up with something really special. Just felt like there was a lot more of that all over this pro tour. Yeah, and just moving the metagame forward, which yes, we just haven't had for a while. And like this is gonna be a huge shakeup to Pioneer because Bono Green did pretty poorly, uh 46.6% overall, and was one of the most played decks. Yeah. Uh, Rakdos also didn't do great, I think. 46.4%, uh, even yeah. worse. And it, it was the most played deck. And then, like, you go to, I think, the third most played deck, question mark. No, that may not be correct. It might be the fourth or fifth played. But Mono White Humans, horrible, fifth. horrible conversion rate. 34 and 60, 36.2% win rate. So a lot of the suppositions about this format are just completely thrown out the window at this point. You really have to do your tier rankings, your power rankings over from scratch after this event. Right. And the the biggest winner, I think, isn't even Greasefang. Like, yeah, sure, scoreboard for Greasefang, but like all of the versions of the Auras decks did incredibly well. Mm -hmm. Like Orzov, yep. 66%, Selesnia, 63%, Abzan, 60%. Uh, normally, you, like, you don't see that, right? It's like, oh, you know, one of these versions is maybe better than the other but it's just like the top five winning his decks like three of them are auras decks can you find a reason for that with like the broader metagame trends do you just think 
or has had exactly the right clock to pair up well against these combo decks, which are like sort of slower combo decks. You know, they're like turn four, turn five combo decks. Is or is able to just kill you in that window with just enough disruption. You know, a lot of these black splashes be for Abzan or Orzov auras, or in the case of Slesnia auras, maybe just pure aggression. Uh, finding that window to win before these combo decks come online and staying really strong against any kind of interactive deck, something like Rakdos, just not lining up all that well against Oris. Yeah, it's it's the two ships passing in the night sort of thing. I mean, you can play Mata White and try and interact, but that was the axis that everyone was prepared for. And you look at something like, is it creativity where they'll they'll have like, nine one mana removal spells after sideboarding right and obviously that's great against mono white but it doesn't necessarily line up that well against the auras deck especially the the versions with glade cover scout yep and well if if we decide that we're doing that if like there are just going to be like some combo decks and maybe i'm going to get attacked by mono white or something and just like build a 10 10 like trample first strike lifelink flyer or whatever it's like a lot of these decks are not set up to deal with that, and it's in line with the speed of the rest of the format. So, Mono White, uh, I'm going to check this real quick. Like, Mono White is supposed to have, like, a good green matchup, but, like, over time, they've caught, like, Brave the Elements and stuff like that. Uh, okay, yeah, so Mono Green Devotion against Mono White in this tournament was 42%. So mono yeah. white having a slight mono white edge. favored. Actually, the only favorable matchup on this chart for <laughs> awesome mono white humans. Awesome. You love to see where just like some of the worst performing decks are just like our oh, only good against each other or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Uh whereas I guess like the Oris doesn't have a, a lot of data for this, but Oris performed very well against mono white, for example, and uh, also undefeated against mono green. So not a bad spot to be yeah it's it's things like that it's like well i want to attack i want to be good against mono green and like why at that point why would you play humans when you could play auras because you're uh, you also post like a good win rate against humans and you are smashing mono green versus winning 60 percent of the time or whatever and then against things like is it creativity or whatever maybe you just have like glade cover scout and you just brick their removal entirely and you're presenting a reasonable enough clock that is also not a thing that they're prepared to deal with right so yeah i just think like you find a way to gain a little bit of life and it's very challenging for rakdos to do any sort of racing they have to actually answer everything and they just can in some instances yeah sometimes i mean i they have a bunch of spot removal and uh like their curve is pretty low and i think that's the most important thing is like if they draw multiple one mana interaction early like thoughtsy's fatal push and are able to transition that into slightly bigger stuff like loliana and bone crusher giant then i think they're going to be okay uh unless you draw like glade cover scout and can protect it against loliana then it's a huge okay. problem so like i i definitely like the green version compared to something like Orzov, but I could see how Rakdos would still be tough. It would still be like a little bit tricky. It does feel like going forward, Rakdos has the tools available to shore up this matchup. And that's kind of like the story of Rakdos for me in this tournament. As we mentioned, most represented deck, pretty middling performance, 46.4%. I think that is reflective of the fact that 
you can build Rakdos to beat some stuff. And where we are looking at a tournament that as it was put through filtration, the stuff that rose to the top was not the expected metagame, not the stuff that maybe you've spent a bunch of time preparing for. So you see things like for Rakdos midrange, a favorable mono-white humans matchup. Uh, even a fav favorable is it creativity matchup, which I think is, you know, maybe not something they were targeting quite as hard. But there are some good matchups there. It's just the things that they ultimately faced going down the stretch. I don't think they were cognizant enough against, and that's why this deck was not able to convert in the late stages uh, in, in terms of conversion to top eights. Yeah, and I mean, there was a Rakdos deck in top eight. There was a mono-white human or mono-white aggro in top eight. But uh -huh. overall, pretty poor performance. And I think that these numbers are are pretty exciting to the point where I think that unless you're a diehard Rakdos player, like there, there's definitely going to be a lot of people who are like, oh, I can tune my Rakdos deck to beat this like pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, but as far as things like mono green devotion, mono white aggro, like these things are going to be dropping off significantly and you're going to be seeing a lot of the more exciting decks from this tournament. Like is it creativity? maybe some Grease Fang, but like definitely Auras too. Like Auras is going to be super popular. Yeah. I think so. I think you'll see a tick up in that and, and you know, creativity, of course, winning the entire tournament speaks well for its future and already a deck that was very much trending upwards. So uh, not surprised to see a very big performance from that list. Yeah. And two of those in top eight, two Lotus Fields in top eight. Uh, yeah, we could talk a little bit about Lotus Field. I haven't mentioned that yet. Uh, yeah. Probably because the, the bragging is not as strong this go around, but <laughs> just a very solid middle of the road combo deck. 52.7% conversion is now getting that representation that I said it was supposed to have all along. And you see in this matchup spread, it's just like fine against everything. Maybe showing some vulnerability to is it creativity? Uh, slightly faster combo deck, I would say, with just a bit more interaction. So I'm not surprised to see that matchup sway is its creativity's way. And and while I do, you know, still overall like Lotus Field, after this Pro Tour is actually the lowest I've been on it in a very, very long time. Because I think the things that should start to trend upwards, things like Auras, things like Is It Creativity, are tough matchups for Lotus Field. And, you know, if I had a Pioneer tournament to play... I might actually have to put my Lotus Field deck away for once just because I think the immediate aftermath of this Pro Tour is going to inadvertently shape things to be a little bit more hostile for Lotus Field. Well, the funny thing about all this is, too, is Lotus Field still did pretty well. 52.7% yeah. win rates, uh, decent matchups across the board, about what you would expect, two copies in top eight. And this is with it being a known quantity. Yeah, hard for the deck to fail. So... Yes, there is going to be probably a, a little bit of dip, like you're probably right to put it down for the short term, but eventually things are going to go back to how they were, you know, kind of with like the, the Grease Fag uh, allegory where it's like there's no graveyard hate, right? Like at some point you're going to yeah. get back to the point where there's no damping sphere type of stuff for Lotus Field, and then you can go right back to playing that. But like most of these decks, when they were known quantities did very poorly like mono green uh rakdos and mono white right like those were all known quantities coming in and they all got smashed and lotus field known quantity was the one thing that was able to be successful through all of this which is striking to me because it's supposed to be uh a lot more linear a lot more easily hated out 
And yeah, it's shown itself to be fairly resilient, actually. Yeah, and changing a bit too, you know, world champ, uh, Nathan Stoyer playing Lotus Field into the top eight, copy of Voyaging Seder making its way into the list now. So just like these really small efficiency tweaks you see over time with this list. And, you know, sideboard plants too also coming together uh, more and more Zakamas in the sideboard. I see a Dragon Lord Dramoka in the sideboard of Nathan's list. That's going to be a card that excites probably Andrew Brown more than anyone else on the face of the earth. But are some small changes here that I think uh, are doing a nice job just shoring up some of the weak points of this deck. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed considering like how much coverage I did watch, and this may have happened and maybe I missed it, but I never saw any of those cards come into play. I never okay. saw a Dragonlord Draboka. I never saw a Zakama. Maybe it happened, maybe I was asleep, but uh, for the most part, they, they were just doing their thing, comboing off, making it look pretty easy from what I saw. Yeah, they... Those cards tend to come up in the scuffed games. Well, so I, know. Saw, I know. If you saw Lotus Field having success, they don't need to mess with that stuff, right? You just skip right over it. Well, I saw some games where, you know, they don't draw Lotus Field. Uh, they get disrupted in attacks, you know. That, like, those those games definitely came up, but it wasn't, like, long, drawn-out kind of, like, matchups where those cards would come into play necessarily. And yep. Little yep. disappointed, gotta say. Sorry, next go around. We'll make sure you get those those cool Lotus Field cards to show up. Maybe. Uh, one thing about this that I am sort of surprised by, I guess, is kind of like the lack of new cards. I expected more people to kind of like take shots with the new stuff, and this looks like a pro tour that could have happened without this set for the most part. Disrespectful to uh, Skrelf, honestly. I don't. I don't no, know. That dude, dude, there were a that's, lot of Skrelf. That's the card. Yeah, that's the card that broke out. I mean, you're right for the most part. Not a lot here, but particularly in the top eight. Uh, I I think there were a total of seven Skrelfs across the top eight, if I'm counting correctly. So that for a non-rotating you, I told format. You, man, best card in the set. Yeah, I I'm starting to come around to your way of thinking. This really really impressive performance for sure. Uh, we should also note too, Enigmatic Fires picking up a top eight in the hands of Derek Davis. That's a deck you and I have sort of been quasi high on over time. We keep mentioning it. We're like, eh, it's kind of right there. It does some really powerful stuff. Didn't have great numbers in this event, but did pick up a top eight birth. So. Uh, I mean, Derek is also like very good with the deck. Like they talked about this a lot on coverage, how he won a mocks with it also. Uh-huh. So I, I think that's kind of what it takes for I don't know, pioneer in general and to some extent stuff like modern too where yes there the metagame does move and sometimes rapidly and things move up and down um but just actual mastery with an archetype can go a long way and fires is one of those decks that i think would would be a good answer to a field like this where it's like you expect a lot of like Rakdos, Mono Green, and uh, Mono White, even though maybe the deck is not particularly good against Mono White. But it's like, it's one of those decks that you could turn to where you're just like, all right, I'm not going to interact in the way that these decks are used to dealing with. And yep. maybe this will be something that can like com- completely uh, just devastate a fair metagame, right? And the decks that we saw with the high win percentages are all of those decks, like the, the ships passing in the night, right? And Dude, I love those moves for a Pro Tour. That, yes. that, I mean, that was always my move at the Pro Tour. You know, uh, go back to Ad Nauseam. 
that was I was looking for the way that nobody wanted to interact and the thing that lined up well against like the baseline of the format. In that case, it was, oh, there's a lot of people trying to attack me with Wild Nakadal and there's a bunch of control decks and neither of them can ever beat me. So I'll play this very stupid deck that just sort of trashes them. And I think that was a very successful strategy in this tournament as well. Right. And the problem with fire specifically is that it's bad against the other decks that are trying to do that. Uh-huh. Like it is good against the the losers metagame, but not that good against things like uh, you know, creativity or Lotus sure. Field or auras, you know, like these these other decks that are trying to do the same thing, but like are actually have a, a heads up in kind of like the pseudo combo mirrors. It's just the the same story repeating itself over and over where people talk themselves into playing these very fair decks and pro tours and they do fine and you know the win rates right around 50 percent, and they're never going to feel that bad in your testing you feel really smart you came up with all these great plans for everyone and then you show up and you go nine and seven and that's about your ceiling but it's these weird things these off the radar things these things that aren't interested in playing magic that feel like they always just claim so much of the top eight share especially when it comes to eternal non-rotating formats yeah. Looking at the numbers now, I guess the Fire deck went 6-0 against Rakdos. Not not surprising. 0-3 uh-huh. against Mono Green Devotion. Small sample size. Uh, I would expect it to be difficult, but not that much of a route. Yeah. And then, uh, like, 1-0 against Humans, 0-2 against Gruul. I would expect, like, the pure aggro decks to be tough. And then 2-2 against Creativity. I'm surprised that they were, like, doing that well against Creativity. Uh, it's, yeah. It seemed like game one... You're you're looking pretty good because they only have like make disappear and your leyline bindings are super live, but like it's also hard to get anything going against them, right? Because it's not like you can put pressure on them necessarily, and they have a bunch of shocks and yeah, just no, they interact well. They'll they'll kill you if you tap out. So yeah, but like threatening. going going like super super long, I I guess like medium long, like if if you have a binding and you're able to keep mana open then it seems very difficult for creativity to actually beat you. And then in the post-board games, it seems like a nightmare when uh, they pick up like a bunch of negates and stuff like that and like shark typhoons. You you don't really improve all that much. You're still right. trying to jam like four mana sorceries. Um, so I, I think game one is good for them against creativity and the post-board games are bad. So t- two and two, I'm actually kind of surprised by. Just want to take a moment to give a shout out to Big Score. And uh, what, what was worst Big Score called before we got this one? Like the three, the three mana two. one? Oh, no, it was R2. Windfall, windfall, unexpected windfall. windfall. Unexpected windfall. I remember just being taken to the cleaners when I suggested that card might be a good magic card. And now Big Score is just here running over Pioneer tournaments. Yeah. Just such such a powerful effect. And it's, it's going to be the backbone of combo decks for a very long time. Yeah, I, I think that... I mean, I was I was definitely wrong. I was definitely like... I don't know, you know, four mana for basically do very little is not super exciting. But in in hindsight, I'm just like, how did I ever have that opinion? <laughs> yeah, you know? four, four to seven, fix your draw. Like, yeah. that, that'll do it. That'll get you the game win in a lot of instances. Yeah. And I don't know, kind of semi-related to that, I guess. And uh, in regards to new cards, how do you feel about all this Atraxa hype and the fact that there were like no Atraxas here? Like we're talking about uh, Derek Davis and Fires and how Atrax is potentially like a new seven mana card that uh could have used to 
enigmatic incarnation into, but didn't. Just chose the yeah. Titan of Industry, Agent of Treachery thing, which I think is fine because it's just like you normally you want your seven drop to be able to impact the battlefield, right? Like this will allow you to draw a bunch of cards, but like do you actually need that in any of the matchups? But like that that is one of the spots where Atraxis could show up. It could show up in all of these big score decks. There's a lot of talk about like you know reanimator spliced with X, Y, and Z type of stuff, and yeah, yeah. not not a lot of it uh, actually showing up in the Pro Tour. But as far as, like, the streamers and, like, the Magic Online players or whatever, like, they're still all about it. So, like, that's still kind of underexplored and could be a thing that could shift the metagame again. I I just think, like, Atraxa is incredibly powerful. Maybe not the best fit for the Pioneer format, because I see it as most powerful uh, sort of on the two poles. Uh, maybe pole isn't the right word. So the, the use for in Standard, where it has been pretty dominant thus far, is just this incredible value engine. And as games go long, you're able to actually use all those cards you draw and, uh, you know, leverage the huge, huge boost that Atraxa gives you and also just tie it up with a threat. And that plays very well into sort of fair-ish magic. Other place Atraxa plays very, very well is in degenerate magic. So things like Legacy, reanimating Atraxa versus reanimating Gristlebrand, Atraxa being better in a lot of instances it doesn't really surprise me actually that makes a lot of sense it gets you the force of will to immediately protect itself its impact in terms of like blocking and attacking can be even higher than something like gristle brand it is a blue card which matters a bunch for that format so there's all these reasons why when things get either very degenerate or very fair Atraxa becomes more attractive and pioneer is sort of sitting between those two spots right now where like the things, the ways you can use Atraxa and Pioneer aren't quite degenerate enough to push it above things like, uh, you know, Creativity or Lotus Field. And doing it fair just doesn't make a lot of sense because games don't go that long and you'll get blown up by something like Lotus Field or Creativity if you try and just leverage like a, I tapped out and drew a few cards. That's that's not going to get the job done here. So I see why it's been a little bit slower on the uptick. And I don't think it's like done in Pioneer. There is still absolutely a place for it in this format but i do see why it has a little bit more pointed flaws in this format than some of the other ones where it's found success yeah and when when i brought it up uh during the preview show i was mostly thinking in like fair terms of like just casting it in standard uh, yep. <laughs> but clearly that is not the way to go it is very much like a good reanimation target and then i certainly was not thinking about legacy and then you you make the comparison to like is it better to reanimate this or crystal brand and then start thinking about how Atraxa will give me like a Lotus Petal and an Anime Dead and like a Force yep. Circle and stuff. I'm just like, yep. now I want to play Legacy again, man. So now I'm looking at Legacy Challenge decklist and I see like JPA 93, like Sneak and Show Aficionado, right? Uh-huh. Uh, played played in the same mocks that I did. Like that's that's how I know this dude really well. And has two Atraxas in, in his Sneak and Show deck and I'm just like, hell yeah, sure. let go. Yeah. Seems fun. Uh... I just I want to see a reanimator list. I'm gonna scroll till I see one. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they exist yet, but they certainly seem like they can, right? And you could I think you could think about it in modern as well. Like oh, the animation yeah. up there yeah, could I've, be quite I've, good. I've seen a ton of different deck lists. I don't know what's best or anything, but uh, I certainly see the appeal. And I think it's really cool. Also, dude, it's weird. A lot of these legacy decks have minor misstep in them. Yeah. You know, those legacy folks, they don't get new cards all that often. You let them think they're 
getting one over on you and they'll get real excited. Decent amount of mercurial spell dancers. Good. I'm not super surprised. Again, not a card I really expect to hit in Pioneer either, so not surprised it didn't have a huge impact here, but yeah, seems good in Legacy. Yeah, cards like that in, in Pioneer's pretty small ball and not a ton of ways to actually take advantage of it. And when you do, you're not, you know, how does that card line up against like Lotus Field or whatever? It just doesn't. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Or, or late cover scout. Not where, beating that one. Where are the anime deads on Atraxa? Show me. Show me them. I'm a 29th place, man. This is not put well. Sounds like you're the hero we need, Gerald. You're you're in charge of putting the anime dead on Atraxa. Look, I've been known to reanimate a thing back in my that. day, you know? Yep. None. None in that channel. Maybe the League. The League is what I want. The League will I, show I me it's every- up to you. Yeah, I think it's entirely up to you right. at this point. Control F, reanimate. Uh, first deck has four reanimates, also yeah. has four death shadow and four oh, minor missteps. Okay. Yeah, that's not what we were looking <laughs> oh, for. Oh, I got one. Um, hmm, I don't know if this counts. This one also has a world gorger dragon. Huh. <laughs> I mean, if you're playing the anime deads, you, you may as well, right? Yeah, but then what do you do? That's that's for the big brains to figure out. I just put two cards together. Yeah, like the okay, so the World Gorger, it it does it does loop. You do get infinite mana. You just need something else in your graveyard. I guess it's just you. I mean, there's only there's only one World Gorger, but so it's like a backdoor if you get. I don't, I don't, Peacekeeper or something. I don't know. And then you attract a, uh, your entire deck or whatever. And I don't know. Yeah. Oh, there's, dude, five hits for reanimate in this league. Okay. Here we go. Four attracts it. Let's go. Hapless Researcher. Love it. Yep. Great. Uh, this is fine. This is okay. This is about what I would expect. I like the, ooh, this is kind of nice. So, you pick up like a force of will off it, right? Yep. Cool. Awesome. Get like a sorcery to go along with it. And then uh hapless researchers like the creature that you can hit yeah. that also does something, but they also have grief. So you can get like grief, oh, black nice. card, yeah. force of will, blue card. Oh, jeez. Yeah, dude, I love this. This is great. That's that's pretty gross. Like it's very hard to lose from that spot. Yeah, it's way better to hit a grief than I don't know, like another big silly thing that you're just going to try and discard so yeah grief is a good call i like that uh last reanimated deck in this league uh for rotting rage sore <laughs> all right that's that's enough that's enough reanimate mono black 12 swamp for dark ritual this rules this oh, rules four chrome locks two agony's awakening and legacy times are weird oh i lied that was not that was not the last one. That was the second to last one. This last one is no Atraxas. It's also mono black. It is Hex Hexmage Dark Depths. <laughs> oh man. You want you want to feel some things. Go look at this Legacy League. This is awesome. The people out there are still grinding Legacy Leagues on Magic Online or they're my, a special breed. My favorite people, honestly. Yeah, they they just have that pure love in their heart for the format. Even given all the uh 
initiative stuff that still goes on in that format. They're still there just playing Dark Ritual into Rotting Regisaur and having a great time. All right, now I'm looking at a thing that is labeled Legacy Challenge 32. I don't know what that means. But fifth place is a mono blue uh, Paradigm Shift Thought Lash combo deck. What else, Lord? I did at some point search out my Thought Lashes from my collection just because they uh, got one of those spikes that we love to see. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised you had Thought Lashes. They're just my OGs, man. I've had them for a long time. Yes. If y'all are not aware of this combo, think uh, Abyssal Burst Skeeter. Yeah, close enough. And because this deck is for Thoss's Oracles and whatnot. So, oh man. Uh, yeah. A couple days from now, probably do uh, another episode with March of the Machine preview since we, we got a surprising number of those. Yeah, very surprising. Uh, but preview season must continue. I, I turned off coverage and then was informed that like, oh, well now preview stuff is happening. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Oops. Well, don't worry, Gerald, because it'll be covered in depth on the next episode of the Arena Decklist podcast. How's that rebranding going, by the way? Do we have a new name yet? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I have things that I'm not happy with. Okay. And it's, dude, it's not like we don't have time. That is true. All the time in the world. I mean, I'm I'm still open to taking suggestions. If you got something for me, let me know. I got nothing. Yeah, exactly. I, I got nothing, man. Exactly. All right. Anything else? Wait, wait, wait. Anything I just else? Had a flash of inspiration. Let's let's do it. Hit me. Oh, this what if is, we called it? This is for rebranding. Okay, I was I was going to ask if you had any more pro tour related stuff you want to talk about. What if we called it the Game Podcast? N- no. But what if we did? I mean, technically, I still have some of the merch. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I know where to get some of this merch cheap, bro. We can just get that train rolling again. Well, I don't have that much. We got enough. I mean, it's it's technically on the table. I think that would be uh, against the spirit of the reserve list if we were to reprint the, the game deck boxes. We made a promise that they'd never mm. be reprinted again, and we should probably adhere to it. Did we? Let's close, let's close the loophole. Did we? Just, Can we get the ridiculous lawyers on this? I'm not, so. I'm not sure that we could get sued over this or anything. I know a lot of it is optics, not necessarily like actually just getting sued. But... Well, let me tell you about promissory estoppel, Gerald, and it's okay. a fascinating concept. I, have, no, I, don't, I, have I definitely heard... do not want to talk about promissory estoppel. I have heard that term before. I do not want to hear about it. Yeah, you don't. I'm sure I heard about it on some garbage lawyer show, probably on Hulu, that I watched like 20 minutes of and then stopped. It is it is a lot of what the reserve list is about, though. If anyone wants to Google, you could. I'm I'm not talking about it, but you can go Google it. Yeah, we're you handle that yourself. You know, you take that upon yourself. We're not going to. Uh, okay. Anything else, pro tour related? No. So the big thing, Brian, that we talked about was all of this is going to matter it's going to hinge on whether or not this feels like a pro tour yeah do you think this felt like pro tour yes i do that's why it was a very successful first step yeah i i think it did too uh i i would like to see the like i was not there in person and i think that would go a long way towards helping to gauge that but like Uh, just from the coverage perspective of things it it definitely felt like it I, I would just like to see the amount of 
invites increased. However, they decide to do that. Um, if they just want to, you know, have Brian cut them a check for a K or whatever and have the invite list, that's fine with me. Um, but if they want to figure out how to do like more, you know, Grand Prix sort of things or like big events that give away invites, I think that that's cool. Uh, it'd be kind of nice to actually have a road to the PT that is not grind your ass away in uh, LGSs for weeks to play in like some yeah. of the tournament. I mean, any I'll take anything that isn't miserable. I'm not I'm not going to make myself unhappy to qualify for your pro tour, and those events in LGSs understaffed, not appropriately judged, uh, cramped, lack of bathrooms, not happening. It's not happening for me. I need something better. You know, many of these, those tournaments I've showed up to, like tried to buy cards and couldn't like that's, yep. that's another big thing. That's I, not going to work for me either. So I said it before, I'll say it again. If you're going to go to an RCQ, definitely have your full list purchased, maybe from like TCG player or something, which sucks. Cause like, I want to support the local store. Right. But it's like, you go in there and it's like, I need experimental synthesizer. And they're like, lol, we don't have those. And it's like, okay, fine. Can't win game good luck